knew this was a reparations anthem? <laughs> yeah, I went to Babyface last night. Woo! It was off the chain. Yamava. Ooh, you know what? I thought I knew all his songs, but I digress. Okay, so call me if you got something to say about uh, what you just heard. 800-920-1580. 800-920-1580. Otherwise, I'll just digress all day and and, <laughs> and be in uh, in my post-baby face high uh, from seeing the show. It was so awesome. Uh, I, I thought I knew all the songs he, he had written. Ha! No, I did not. Man, this this man has written so many songs for pop artists, for black artists, for, um, yeah, I mean, anybody. Uh, anyway, yeah, we can, that, that's amazing. That's like a level of genius. We can talk about that. So um, we do have a lot to talk about. And one of the things that I said I would do um, is make sure that we understand what's already been done, right? And what the work that's already been done. Um, If you haven't read the 1,200-page report of the California Reparations uh, Commission, if you haven't read the executive summary, which is only 75 pages, uh, we need to go over some of that stuff and start to understand um, what that work is in the space of reparations. Uh, Recounting historical atrocities is where they started, um, which is making the case for why reparations are needed, um, telling the story of African Americans, black folks in the United States, and the failed promises um, of our government in extracting us from the deprivation, abuse, uh, and, and and financial disadvantage of our enslavement, but also the subsequent harms uh, through Jim Crow and its uh, and and its um, affiliated or um, you know consequences uh, that came from that. And this is one of the things that um, what Friday Jones was addressing about you know, these different schools of thought when it comes to the way forward, what would be, what would hold up legally, what would be fair and equitable, and what would be sustainable. Because trust and believe that once um, any kind of larger scale reparations plan is put in motion, whether it be statewide, whether it be on the um, federal level, there will be challenges, right? Just as there are um, challenges or uh, really it's a defeat at this point of affirmative action, of our voting rights, of um, women's right to choose. The clawback game is strong right now for conservatives in a space. And I say conservatives because some um, reparations activists have insisted to me that um, uh, quite a few, actually, and you've heard it on this show, that Republicans can deliver this. And it's hard for me to get my mind around that, even though I was calling for Donald Trump to do reparations um, <clears throat> by executive order while he was still in office because he says he's Mr. Art of the Deal, so let's deliver a deal. But the reality is, in, this, in the modern-day Republican Party, the fight is against even inclusion. You're not even wanted at the table. Forget about repair. If you um, do not believe that diversity, equity, and inclusion is 
net positive for business purposes, uh, for business bottom lines, for the well-being, spiritual, emotional um, well-being and financial well-being of our country, then how could you possibly support reparations? And if it was to pass under a Republican administration, how would it not get clawed back and then demolished by a U.S. Supreme Court? And I understand that this is why one of the reasons why we have these um, polarized positions, different viewpoints when it comes to how we should move forward, what a reparation model should look like if it's lineage-based, race-based, um, or legacy, as uh, as Friday Jones was calling it. What does that mean legally will hold up in court? We know that the reason this conversation about repair, restitution uh, for the descendants of enslaved black folks in this country, uh, one of the reasons it's has moved to the legislative branch is because the courts repeatedly um, denied our standing, meaning that we have the eligibility or the grounds uh, to get justice in the courts under the work of Charles Ogletree and and others. Um, And so now the front for us, the front line for the battle for reparations in 2023, 24, and beyond is um, is legislative, is in the streets, in, in the court of public opinion. And that's one of the reasons why you'll find me talking about this every single Friday, although you are invited in, even if you have a different conversation that you want to share. 800-920-1580, 800-920-1580. That's the number wherever you are, um, in terms of your position, wherever you are geographically, uh, I would love to hear from you. The question of Pan-Africanism is one we didn't get a chance to address um, because we just ran out of time. Kansa Muhammad, uh, a.k.a. Friday Jones, had a lot of things she wanted to talk about and get out on the table for this conversation. And so we didn't address this issue, but it's related to the issue of immigration because the... um, trap of xenophobia is one that uh, is present in both of those conversations. When I hear people say that Pan-Africanism, as if it's a bad word or a problem, or even not a problem, but counter to um, an understanding that black Americans have a specific story and desire and deserve um, specific particular repair, uh, I, I don't understand that. If I have a birthright legacy, meaning inheritance, right? If I have, to put it in a, you know, petty or or, or micro analogy, if I have one mom, if I have a mom that's uh, from the United States and a father that's African or vice versa, and I'm, uh, I'm, I'm eligible to inherit 40 acres in Africa and 40 acres in the United States, why wouldn't I embrace both of those? Why would I say, well, because I have harm here, because I'm now an American. And I'm not one of these people that says I'm not an American. I'm a patriot. I believe uh, that I am a progressive patriot, but I'm a patriot nonetheless. I love my country. I believe, believe, as Frederick Douglass said, a true patriot is one who calls 
his or her nation to account, to live up to its ideals, to live up to what we say we are, the principles that we put forth in our constitution, albeit aspirational because we've never fully, never fully made good uh, on those promises or the protections and promises that we were uh, given after the Civil War, uh, the promise of reconstruction. I am a patriot. I'm not saying that I don't, I'm, I don't consider myself an American. My dad and I might even uh, fall out on that because he has a, a, a wonderful poem called Why, Wise We Americans, where he outlines the reasons he doesn't consider us Americans because we don't receive the rights of Americans. We don't receive the rights and resources uh, uh, of, of Americans. And I actually, I acknowledge that, but my, you know, my position in being team stay and fight is I'm not running away from Trump and his, his fascist army. I want to stay and fight. I, I respect you if you don't, but that said to me, why, why does there have to be a conflict? And this is a question for people who consider themselves, uh, to be, you know, race-based or, you know, um, all, you know, all, all in for reparations and those who consider themselves lineage based. Why do we have to, why is the idea of Pan-Africanism, meaning the recognition that we are all connected, you know, and that we do have shared, um, interests on some issues, um, and that we have a birthright to, the motherland, you could say, well, it's our continent of origin. And one could argue that all human life <laughs> generates from Africa, the Nile Valley, um, the, uh, you know, area around Ethiopia. And we can make that argument scientifically. But the fact is, so you could say, oh, well, all human beings are descended from the motherland. Yeah, that's true. But we're talking about you know, the system of white supremacy, uh, the system of enslavement um, and, and, and white nationalism is based on phenotype, meaning how do you look? Do you look to be a descendant of a, of a sub-Saharan African? That kind of global unity um, has moved mountains for us um, and, and does not have to be at odds with, uh, with the understanding that African-Americans have a particular story, have a particular harm um, that deserves specific repair. I don't think those have to be at odds. I'd love to hear your thoughts. 809-20-1580. 809-20-1580. That's the number to call. It's Friedman Friday all day, but certainly there's a lot more to talk about. Some wild things going on uh, in court yesterday with the former president. Um, and there are some important uh, things going on right here where I'm broadcasting from La Los Angeles, California that have national implications. All that straight ahead along with your phone calls, 800-920-1580. We are KBLA Talk 1580, 40 acres and a mic. KBLA Talk 1580 is an intervention. When we come forward, includes you. KBLA Talk 1580, turning pain into power. power. Thanks for waking up with Dominique DePrima on KBLA Talk 1580. I do thank you. I'm uh, really glad you're here. 800-920-1580, the number to call if you want to weigh in. 
um, don't want the day to pass without talking about what's happening right now on the world stage uh, as South Africa has taken Israel to the International Court of Justice, where it is accusing Israel of genocide. Uh, they've presented, um, they're presenting their case um, about what is happening, um, not just now, right now, with the uh, Israeli campaign against Gaza, against um as they state, uh, Hamas, which is also, you know, slaughtering so far at least 23,000, mostly civilians, mostly women uh, and children. Um, And South Africa, which, of course, we, we all should know, you know, had its own apartheid system, is now uh, using their standing um, to level this uh, accusation of genocide against Israel. Um, they are asking for a, what is called a binding um, condemnation of this campaign in, in which um, the International Court of Justice would demand that Israel stop their campaign in Gaza. Um, they say... Right now, uh, South African lawyers making the case saying that uh, the military campaign has already killed one in 100 Gazans, displacing uh, two million other people. Um, They are also talking about the history before the slaughter of 1,200 Israelis by Hamas. They're talking about the displacement. and uh, deprivation of rights of Palestinians since uh, 1948, the establishment of the the Israeli state and the subsequent wars and uh, campaigns, uh, redrawing of borders, the the settlers, um, uh, seizing of lands. And Israel is saying, of course, that South Africa is lying. They're denying all the charges. They're also saying that South Africa is trying to turn Israel into a pariah or labeling them unfairly as a rogue state. That they, um, Netanyahu, the prime minister of Israel, said that they're trying to stop a genocide and they're being accused of genocide. Um, so this, the eyes of the world are on this. There's no doubt. And South Africa, because of their status as a post-apartheid state, and I, and I, you know, I say post-advisedly, having traveled there last year, I can tell you the remnants of apartheid are, are very strong. Um, the way that uh, the society structured, the way that most of the wealth, vast majority of the wealth is still in white hands, the way that... Uh, black uh, people there continue to be denied rights and respect was very evident to us as black American travelers uh, that are not used to, you know, being automatically asked to, we're, I'm not saying we're not used to racism, but we're not used to the blatant uh, automatically being asked to step aside, uh, to be subsumed, to be able to be just treated any old kind of way. They're still coming out from under that. So their status on the world stage as a post-apartheid state gives them 
a moral authority. And I believe that is one reason why Israel is taking this seriously and showing up and defending themselves. And many times in the past, Israel has refused uh, to deal with the UN or international bodies saying that they are biased against Israel. Now, what happens from this? Let's say that uh, South Africa makes their case, the court agrees, and they demand that Israel uh, end the campaign in Gaza. It's highly unlikely that they will end it. More than likely, they would defy it. If they were sanctioned for for that at the World Court or at the um, uh, at the UN, uh, it's, it's likely that the U.S. will shield them from any consequences, as we have done um, in the past. Let's go to Sharice calling us from Los Angeles. Hi, Sharice. Good morning, Mr. Freeman. Can you hear me? I do. Good morning to you. I I wanted to call in. I caught the tail end of Friday's um, call in or her uh, session with you today. And I want to thank you for having Freeman Fridays and bringing in um, someone who identifies with the Freeman Union movement. And I wanted to talk about two things. Um, I wanted to talk about um, lineage, reparations, and legally why that is the best way right now for us, because I am a lawyer, and I wanted to talk about um, Pan-Africanism real quick. I wanted to answer the question she probably didn't Okay, um, we're going to go into news traffic and sports in two minutes, but don't worry, on the other side, yeah. I, you're, I'm happy to hear what you have to say and continuing the conversation. Okay. okay. So um, I've worked with Friday before. I've done advocacy for reparations, particularly with the task force. And um, I was the one, me, in 2020, who was advocating for the reestablishment of the Freedmen's Bureau. Me. And that that born, that, that blew out to what we have um, at the state level in the call for, um, you know, Freedmen status. But that legal status is important. And it's very similar to the status that Native Americans have. And that's what I was looking for, that we have autonomy and a legally recognized status tied to the Freedmen legacy. And that is where legally we can um, get reparations. We can advocate for reparations with Republicans, because there is an issue if you say someone recently, a black person recently immigrated to this country and they are claiming that they should also have reparations simply because they are melanated. That is not a okay, so, reasonable... So, so two follow-ups to that. Number one, I, that doesn't seem... I don't see a whole bunch of black people from the Caribbean and Africa rushing in going, we want reparations. I, it seems like a, a solution to a problem that doesn't really exist. Um, well, we, you, I'll but, let you respond uh, to that first. But California Power, Black Power Network is asking for something like that. And Baji is asking. They definitely... Specifically, Baji requested that during the task force hearing. So there is a contingency of individuals who think that it is okay if you um, that you should claim reparations if you are a United States citizen, regardless regardless of your status. Hmm. There, I, I, there, I don't. I, I, I've had none on the show many times. I don't. I don't think she's ever said that. She's the executive director of Baji, but I'll certainly follow up I, and, and hold that thought because we have a hard stop here for news, traffic, and sports. But I really want to hear what you have to say um, when we come forward on KBLA Talk fifteen eighty. She's reclaiming her time on KBLA Talk fifteen eighty. More first things first with Dominic DePrima when we come forward at KBLA Talk fifteen eighty. We do more than just talk. I'd be talking about baby face all day today. 
Um, if it wasn't for the fact that it's a Friedman Friday and we're talking about reparations. But uh, don't forget, Kenneth Hahn Park this morning, 10.30 a.m. at the MLK statue. Meet me there. Don't be cruel. Because we're talking uh, about climate justice. KBLA unveiling a massive, massive initiative. You're going to want to know about this. And for those who have said, like Molly Bell, they can't be there. No, we're not streaming, but I will take it upon myself to stream live on my IG. So you can go to DePrima Radio and I'll be out there, uh, you know, letting you know what's going on with this brand new initiative. Uh, the mayor of L.A. will be there, DWP and other agencies. Um, ben Jealous, as you heard in the promo. So we'll see you there at 1030 this morning. Sharice from L.A. really making some points around the conversation we were having with Friday Jones. Um, Kansa Muhammad. Sharice, I don't know if you want to give your... Last name, because you said you were talking about how you were such a big advocate uh, and, and you, um, you know, singularly put this idea of a Freedmen's Bureau on the table. I am not really, and, and I want to also follow up on what we were talking about as, as far as lineage. I'm not trying to divert the conversation, but I don't know if you want to publicly say your last name, but also... I'm having trouble getting my mind around why anybody would oppose that because to me, it is a monument to momentum and progress. Um, and, you know, the, 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 I know they say the devil's in the details, but um, anything that needs to be worked out as far as, you know, making sure everyone uh, is justly represented can be done to me, that's just something that, I want to exist. It, it's it's um, an historical and legislative, um, uh, you know, testament to the fact that we are on the move uh, with reparations. Uh, go ahead, Sharice. My last name is Cryer, um, and I would say, so me, I have been advocating for Freedmen's Girl at the federal level, and um, okay. recently I sent a letter to the White House. Um, asking Biden to reestablish the Freedmen's Bureau by executive order, gave him why he could do it and should do it. And so I sent a copy to Joe Biden. And she actually responded, um, not the response I was hoping for, but did acknowledge my letter. Um, okay. I'm not I, mad at that. Okay. So you, uh, now, by you saying that you want a federal reparations bureau, are you saying that you don't um, support the California one or you think both can exist? So I think both can exist. I did not have the idea for the the state level okay. um, that came out of some of the advocacy um, that, you know, Congress group, Friday group were working on. Um, but again, the idea came from reestablishing at the federal level. So if you look at the Bureau of Indian Affairs, the BIA, they have a federal agency. And also most Native American tribes have local tribes and they deal with the BIA. They have certain relationships. And so when I testified, gave public comment to the uh, uh, task force, I said, you cannot have context without context. You did not ask me what does this look like. And I'm telling you what it looks like is how does the BIA interact with uh, local tribes, whether they're federally recognized or non-federally recognized, because California has a lot of non-federally recognized tribes that they give benefits to. What do they get specifically as far as health care, um, financing, and special protection. And that's what the federal and local government need to mimic for Black Americans who can trace their lineage back. Now, we talk about you talk about xenophobia. And I think when we, talk, when we think about xenophobia, what could be xenophobia, it relates to 
what is reparations? And I think everyone has a different definition. Mine is cash-based payments to those who are descendants of chattel slavery. But that does not mean that policy change can be implemented for Black people who are not descendants. And for me, that is not reparations. And that's what we saw with the task force. They issued policy recommendations that are going to impact the entire Black community. And I really wanted them to bifurcate the two and explain we are advocating. We're not just doing reparations here. They did a monumental task, and it was not just reparations. It was also policy change, but they did not separate the two. They called everything reparations. So now it looks like the people who are not, uh, don't have the lineage would not be eligible or it's not applicable to them. And that is not the case for me. That is not the case because you can't say. Okay, take a deep breath because you're just you're saying a lot of things really fast and not everybody is as well versed as you are, Sharice. So I want to make sure that people are able to digest some of the things that you're saying. Um, And so you're right, the California task force, but they did recommend money. They didn't say no cash payment, but they also recommended policy changes that would impact everybody. Uh, Obviously, the law is the law, regardless of your ethnicity or supposedly uh, regardless of your ethnicity or your national origin whatever but are you saying that you're against those policy changes i mean it reparation means repair so repairing things that continue the harms uh, of enslavement and jim crow and 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 uh the reneging of the of the you know promises of reconstruction includes policy changes but are you saying you don't agree with that or you just don't you want to separate it because why? Well, that, so my thing was they only had, what, two years? Yeah. Um, and I told them from the beginning, you did not have time to tackle all of the topics that you were trying to tackle. As you see, they ran out of time. Um, and so um, I think they should have really, uh, initially they did not define what reparations was. It took them a year to define what okay, that was. Yeah. Well, look, I mean, but they've delivered a 1,200-page report, which is pretty powerful. I don't, so, yes, they, I, and they voted against giving themselves more time, right? Uh, that was, that was a contentious issue. Okay. Um, and, uh, I know it there, was, because we, we contended it on this show, but I mean, in the end, they decided not to extend. Yeah, there were other reasons why they decided uh, okay. some of the not to. Um, but but anyhow, that being said, I want to end with this. Um, you know, Pan Africanism, the, the major organizations in my mind who um, are pushing Pan Africanism in the reparations movement are Narcan and Cobra, and um, one of the uh, prominent members of Narc participated in a conference in November. And one of the outcomes at that conference was to have reparations um, on a global scale and there'd be a reparations fund in Africa and um, have distribution from that fund to impact it. You're talking about Cam Howard. He'll be on the show next month and we'll, and we'll talk about that um, because the questions are, you know, when you talk about global reparation, it doesn't necessarily mean the United States is paying reparations in Ghana or Brazil or all of the so-called Commonwealth countries, right? I mean, it doesn't necessarily mean that. It could be coming from Europeans uh, that colonize them or even, you know, intra-Africa, uh, those uh, those. nations that benefited from um, the enslavement of other Africans, right? I mean, theoretically. Mm -hmm. 
Right, but why wouldn't the money go directly to Guyana or directly to Jamaica? Oh, you're saying direct- rather than create a fund. I got you. I got you. Yes. And and I don't want my reparations going to a global fund. I want it to be I want it to directly impact our black community. And our brothers and sisters in Lamar Park aren't going for reparations going to a global fund. So this is my problem with Pan Africanism. It's it's an ideology. It's not reality. It's not what can legally get done now. We have to start somewhere. Well, I mean and I we can start I don't to me I don't I don't think they're mutually exclusive. I, I consider myself a reparationist. I do believe that um, black Americans have a specific story and, and, and deserve specific restitution and repair. But I also would consider myself a Pan Africanist who has a birthright in that soil, you know, who should have the opportunity for dual citizenship and or um, special um, special support or consideration if I wanted to say own land or own a uh, uh, business in on the continent. I don't see those as mutually exclusive. I get that. But if you wanted to go to some places on the continent right now and own land, you can't because you're not a national. Yeah, that that's true. In, in some and in some it's not. But yeah, that's that is true. Um, but I'm, I'm, I'm talking about what I believe. I'm not talking about what they do yeah. to me. And, and so explain to me, why is this anti-immigrant? I understand what you're saying as far as you don't want it to go into a global slush fund. And, you know, I am also a big proponent that people need direct repair. I love all the legislative solutions. And I understand that's an easier place and, and a place where we can probably get more progress right now. But I'm a big believer in you know, the Rihanna song, but you better have my money. Like, let's get some checks going directly to people um, who are descendants of enslaved folks. But why Why does it have to come with anti-immigrant sentiment? Why does it have to come with that hate and division? I, that I don't understand. How does that serve I, us? I, I don't think it's an anti-immigrant um, sentiment. I'll, have I'll you been you on X? Have you met Twitter? I, I listen, I... I've been on Clubhouse. On <laughs> so then you know what I'm talking about. What is it if it's not hate? And I really, and then I'm like, so I was on a Clubhouse, uh, in a Clubhouse room during the pandemic. And um, I think I might have been in a, in a West room or something. You know, they were talking about reparations. And someone inboxed me, a, a, a Nigerian-American. He inboxed me on Instagram and he said, um, I really understand what you were saying about reparations to go to, you know, those who have the lineage. He said, but my sisters and brothers in Africa are poor and they should get the money first. Okay, what? so you had one idiot inbox you. What is it? I mean, what is that? You know, what? But what is I don't I don't understand, again, how that ties into, you know, we. The- we must make it against, you know, the people that trying to get in here at the border from Haiti or Mexico. We it's us or them. That's that's what I'm getting a not, lot of. It's not us or them, but we there is an office of new Americans and at the federal level, there's an office of new Americans. That, okay. Hold on, hold on. Yeah. I'm, I, I, yeah, I said okay. Go ahead, speak your piece. It's not there's not an office of black Americans. I have requested that specifically from the LA repair organization. Um, we need, we think it's equal opportunity and equal funding. That's not happening. 
That's the problem. I'm not anti-immigrant. I don't think most black folks are. It's how come we can't get the same thing? We've been here for 400 years. I mean, I I don't have any philosophical disagreement with that. It's like the conversation about why is there ESL but no, you know, um, black achievement plan. Although L.A. has does have a black achievement plan. Thanks to the fighting uh, and advocacy of of students deserve and and, and black uh, and BIPOC students fighting for that. That said, you know, you there to say that there's no, I mean, no, you know, it doesn't mean that there's anti-immigrant sentiment and that we're getting, I think, being played um, to, you know, do the the footwork of someone else um, around, you know, anti-immigrant initiatives. I don't understand why, why can't we say, you know, we're saying, oh, you there's no funding. There's an office of new Americans, but why isn't there an office of reparations or a Freedmen's Bureau? I totally agree. But why are we saying this immigrant money versus why isn't it, you know, tax the rich so that we can, you know what I'm saying? Why is it, why are we pitting ourselves against these specific groups as opposed to some other funding priority like war? Personally, again, I think it's, it's all of the above. Okay. But again, the money is being allocated in the budget in San Francisco. They get Mayor London Breeze. She got rid of the money for the reparations. We def- she defended that. We talked about that. It's it's inexplicable but, to me. But the, there's funding to, again for the Office of New Americans. We have to have both. You can't have either or. Well, we Maryland and Breed claims that she has another initiative that does everything that the reparations is supposed to do. But I mean, it, to me, it's inexplicable. Why would you voluntarily give ground that we fought so hard for? I, I don't get that. But we, we, the thing is, at the end of the day, we need we need allyship. And I'm not sure black people have been sticking. We've been sticking our necks out for everybody else. And we're not necessarily getting the same in return. And whether it's from white, Republican, um, immigrant, other blacks who are, who might not be eligible, we're not necessarily getting the same support for reparations that we are getting, that we gave to everybody else. Because if it had not been for the civil rights movement, there would be no immigration act i i'm guessing your exception to that is probably japanese americans right and we have we do have a a lot of support from the japanese american community in the reparations movement however a lot of them their mindset is everybody who is black should get reparations and again my thing is legally we need to start somewhere we need to start with a legally valid argument that um could survive constitutional scrutiny and then if other non-lineage-based groups want to come in, I know there's going to be support because there's already support for CARICOM and the CARICOM reparations. But CARICOM is meant to come from the colonizers of those Caribbean governments. That's not U.S. pays for reparations for people in, in Caribbean nations. That's hold the crown accountable. You know, let, you know, the U.K. pay reparations to Jamaica, for example, Right. But but the people who are of West Indian descent should be advocating. They should work with CARICOM to say, if I live outside of Jamaica or Trinidad, I would be eligible to. And they're not doing that. That's not my job for them to tell them, advocate through your 
vehicle for reparations to say I should be eligible too. That's not being done. No, but I, I mean, I, I, I just don't. I, I, well, you know, we can we can agree to just leave it there or, yeah. or disagree because I don't see a huge wave of immigrants saying, "Let me have my reparations." Um, I do hear the dumb argument that you know, and this mostly I hear from white folks that, well, if you know, if Af- if we give African Americans reparations, and we have to give you know reparations to Latinos or you know Chinese people or the people who fought against you know, racism in the Civil War, you know. And those are just, to me, ridiculous straw man arguments. But that I do hear, but I don't see uh, lines of, uh, you know, Africans clamoring for reparations. And I do worry that if we, what I call welfareize the um, reparations uh, piece, that black people... Black Americans who should be eligible will be turned away, walk away, be discouraged, be disrespected. Um, you know, I'm a kid who, you know, back when I was growing up, there were food stamps, you know, and, and that lived through that. And, and it's, it's, you know, it's not cute. It's meant to demoralize, dehumanize, and disrespect you. And then you might get a little something, something. It's, but, but there's no stigma attached to benefits for Native Americans. And you brought yeah, up, that's true. You know, what, if, what if I have a parent who's Jamaican and one who's African American? Again, we look at the BIA model. Well, I mean, I, is, yeah, I didn't mean that literally. I meant, you know, my parent Africa and my parent America, that I that I want what's due to me from both. And if that, you know, I don't understand why that's, why we would walk away from that those riches, which are also part of our our birthright in my opinion. I, I understand what you're saying. So I thank you so much for allowing me to speak and for this Freedom Friday. And um, I wish you much success on this segment. I absolutely appreciate your calling in and uh, the critiques, the, the lively conversation and the inform, informed dialogue. So important. That's what makes us run. And some folks uh, just want to be online. They don't want to get on the, <laughs> the microphone. I get that. But I always appreciate when people step up and speak your piece. That's how we That's how we move the ball. And I appreciate all of the work, uh, Sharice, um, that you have done, Sharice Cryer, in the space and, and will continue to do. Um it is not too late to call me. The best of Tavis Smiley is next as he prepares for our big climate justice press conference. 1030 this morning, Kenneth Hahn Park, right by the MLK statue thingy, obelisk is, I think, the real name of that. That's KBLA Talk 1580. More of First Things First with Dominique DePrima when we come forward. Com. The conversation continues right now, right now, right now with right now. Dominique DePrima on First Things First. So in the past couple weeks, we have had calculations from a bunch of different agencies uh, that dealing with science that show that the global heat records in 2023 are astoundingly um, bad. They're breaking all kinds of records. It sounds scary, is scary. Um, but what scientists are talking about, aside from what happened last year, is what that shows about how quickly the climate emergency is accelerating. Um, they feel, they're saying that, and this is according to the Associated Press, they um, surveyed more than a dozen scientists who say that 
we're already right on the edge of that 1.5 degrees Celsius, which apparently is 2.7 degrees Fahrenheit increase um, that we had said we were going to try to stay within that, um, you know, within these post-industrial times in order to get to avoid a tipping point where we we can't pull back on the damage we've done. Um, and the one scientist, uh, Catherine Jacobs out of University of Arizona, said the heat over the last calendar year was a dramatic message from Mother Nature. And, and um, as global temperatures are breaking records, what, what they're concerned about is how quickly that change is accelerating. So join us today. This is something we are taking on as a radio station, as a community, in partnership with some powerful agencies here. Uh, the mayor of L.A. will be there, 1030 Kenneth Hahn, top of the hill at the Martin Luther King Obelisk. I want to thank everyone who came out to celebrate Reverend James Lawson on yesterday as we dedicated that mile along uh, Adams between Crenshaw and Arlington is now James Lawson Way. It was a beautiful celebration um, organized by uh, Heather Hutt, Council Member Heather Hutt and Yvonne Wheeler of the L.A. County Federation of Labor, um, along with Holman United Methodist Church. And folks came out, really showed love to Reverend Lawson, and I was so honored to be a part of it. He is... Uh, a voice of moral clarity still. And if you missed uh, my conversation with him, it's available as a podcast for free wherever you get your podcast or on the KBLA 1580 app. And certainly in these times, that voice of moral clarity is so important and so well needed. Happy Martin Luther King weekend. I hope you have a great, great, great one. I will see you um, on the top of the hill at 1030. I will see you Monday at the parade and the Lamert Park Festival, which is co-sponsored by KBLA Talk 1580. Um, and that should be amazing. My quote for the day, of course, coming from Martin Luther King Jr. as we celebrate his birthday, one of my favorites. He says, darkness cannot drive out darkness. Only light can do that. Hate cannot drive out hate. Only love can do that. Happy MLK Day to you.